guys can't start the timer because I'm already going to go long, and now I'm just delayed even more. Okay. If you haven't yet done that, can you hear me now? You need to do it. The thing about Hebrews is, and I love Paul. I'm like a big Paul guy. I love Paul. Paul has no capacity to write like the book of Hebrews writer. Like Romans might be the best theological book ever written, letter, but he can't touch the poetry, the beauty, the images, the way that this writer, this pastor, this person writing the sermon of the Hebrews is writing because the way they integrate Jewish theology into a story, a letter, a sermon to a group of Jews who are spread somewhere in diaspora, right, somewhere outside of Palestine, somewhere gathered, these messianic Jewish men and women, he brings them a Jewish theology of the Messiah. And it is absolutely staggering. If you're a poet, you would read this and you would go, oh my gosh, this is on another level. Maybe second to like the book of Revelation in terms of the way it uses imagery and poetry to tell a story. So if you haven't done it, I have to challenge you, please do that. And you'll hear as I talk tonight, I'll probably say both he and she because we simply don't know who the writer is. It's one of my favorite things about this book is unlike the other letters, we have no idea. People have made guesses over 2,000 years on who the writer of the book of Hebrews is. Luther thought it was Apollos. Origen thought it was Paul. Some people have gone all lengths to argue all sorts of things. I'm perfectly happy and actually love to use the word she because I do think it, it just has such poetry and elegance that it has to be an educated woman in the first century. I just would love to say that. So I'm going to rotate both, but you have to know that why I say that is because this author is so committed to the reality of giving you the message, the very words of God as the thing first and foremost, that she backgrounds her own story. She doesn't want anything about her life to get in the way of what she hears, what you hear as the words of God. And she does this in a beautiful way. He does this in a beautiful way. The writer, this pastor, instead of saying, as it is written, every time they quote scripture, they say, as it was spoken by God. So I want to challenge you to read this book as a present and real and active telling of God's word to you. This is such a gift to us. So you've heard my fondness for the book of Hebrews. And now, of course, we've got to jump into Psalm 95, which makes no sense. But in order to make sense of the text we're going to get in today, the beautiful text that we probably got in with Dan a few weeks ago, I figured I'd have to cover half of, half of Hebrews 3 because you guys had a, a break between now and uh, two weeks ago when Dan taught on it because of the 4th of July. And any good teacher knows that a week is just too much to go without keeping things fresh. But I have to say, we are going to read a lot of text tonight, so I'm going to dive in. So Jesus, would you just be present and active? Would your word be the thing that we hear? Hmm. Even now, would you just open your hands? Hmm. Lord, we receive your word. I just pray the text would speak for itself. Hmm. Lord, we live in a time where truth feels impossible to talk about. It feels impossible to agree on. Lord, more than ever, we need your spirit. 
more than ever, we need your scriptures to be soaked in us. The stories of your people over a long time, faithfully following you, to be the things that come up in our minds in the midst of our own adversity and struggle. We open ourselves to that. Amen. Amen. Um, man, I just, I can't shake this feeling that someone on the way here got a call about the loss in a family. Maybe it was a loss of a, what you would consider family. Um, I know that's really hard to probably hear, but if that is someone, I just want to pray for them. And I could be totally wrong. I just want to be faithful to pray. If on the way here you got a call and you found out you lost someone in your life and you're willing to share, go for it. If not, I'm willing to look silly. Okay. Well, Jesus, I just bless whatever that sense is. Would you just clarify it, um, Lord, as we respond together? Amen. All right, Psalm 95. So we're going to be going through Hebrews, half of Hebrews 3 and 4 today. But in order to make sense of what he's saying, there are three things we have to know. We have to know what Psalm 95 is about, which points us to two stories in the book of Exodus, which you'll hear. The, the stories of struggling and questioning and quarreling of the Israelite people wandering through the, the wilderness, and they get to these points where they wonder, God, where are you? God, what are you like? And this is the frame for Hebrews 3 and 4, and it makes sense only if you know what these stories are. So I want to pick up Psalm 95. Psalm 95, this isn't in Hebrews, but I'm just going to quote the whole thing because it sets up so beautifully. Psalm 95, oh come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, the rock of our rescue. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And we just did that so beautifully. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms, for the Lord is great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountain are also his. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He's just sketching out everything that God has created. And I love this. He actually gives you the whole cosmology of what they think of. He says, his hands are in the depths, the peaks of the mountain, the sea, and the dry land. He's saying everything that you can imagine, he's been forming it. And then David turns and he puts in the voice of God into the psalm, speaking to the people. And he says to them, this is the voice of God speaking through the psalms. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. As in the day of Massa in the wilderness, these two places, these two significant stories, which we'll cover shortly. When your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation. Lord, that we would never hear those words spoken of us. And said, there are people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. And this psalm becomes the frame by which we hear what this pastor has to say to his people, to his flock, to a people like us, Jewish men and women in the midst. The thing you have to know is the people he's writing to, she's writing to, they're battered by life. They're battered by life in a world that is, that is opposed to Jesus. 
And if you cannot make sense of this passage if you don't know that. Fortunately, we've had a year and a half where that starts to make sense for most of us. He's talking to people, and he says it, she says it throughout the letter, the three kind of groups of people she's talking to. Some of the hearers have been following Jesus for a while, and they cannot get out of their own way. They cannot, for whatever, get past their broken habits, their broken immaturity, and they cannot enter fully into the abundance that Christ has for them. And he says, you're stuck in your immaturity. You need to be reminded, right? Where can we go for real life? This is the first group of people she's writing to. The second some people have joined the worshiping community throughout the Roman world. Some of these Jewish men, they've joined the worshiping community, and they think that they're believers, that they've given themselves over to Christ, but this pastor is not sure. This pastor begins to question their own trust of these people. They're not sure that they've genuinely entrusted their lives, genuinely given over. Perhaps they're facing so much uncertainty around them. So many alternatives to truth, to ways of life, maybe something more personal to us. They're so busy deconstructing a faith that was never really theirs to begin with that they don't know how to make sense of it, right? And then, of course, this is the one that we all know so well when we read the New Testament. Some of them, no doubt, have been experiencing the sting of persecution, genuine death, Genuine fear, threats on their life, death in their community because of their fidelity to Christ. And they're starting to wonder, how could they not begin to wonder after that? How could they not begin to wonder in trying to be faithful to Jesus, their life, their, their, their family, their jobs become into question? How can they not begin to ask a question that I think every Christian will at some point in a world torn by politics and ideology more and more, how can you not begin to ask, Lord, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Why hold on to this? Why struggle to be faithful to Jesus? Why struggle to listen to his spirit? Why struggle to look different, to stand out? It would just be easier, right? These are the three categories, and this text only makes sense, and I just want to... This is what I was writing as I was sitting there earlier. I just realized that I have been all three of these people in my life. I spent most of my 20s not realizing that I filled my mind with good theology and philosophy and even great quotes and scripture and memorization, and I never let it soak into transformation in my life. And it took me being married, it took me having kids to really see how little work I had done in that period of time. Most of my 20s. Jenny would say probably still to this day, but she's not here, so what, I'll say whatever I want. That's a beautiful thing. Stay home. I'll talk all I want. Um, I've, I've also spent much of my late 20s, much of my life working in a, in a university setting, convinced of my own brilliance, convinced that I can think my way into a way of life, think my way into the perfect theology where I can coalesce and get all the teachers and thinkers that I want, some of them who spend more time deconstructing Jesus than actually following him and trying to converge all those things into one to say, yes, 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 I can be faithful to Jesus and I can also crap on the church. I can, that's his bride. But I spent plenty of time doing that, Right? And then honestly, the last two years of my life, I will have to say, 
I have been, Jenny and I have been clinging to the words and the calling that we are so certain God has given us, confirmed in the mouths and the lives of people like Chris and Merrill and friends from all over. And it feels like every step of utter trust and dependence that leaves us into uncertainty has been one disappointment after the next, one loss after the next, one shattered dream, shattered hope, a sense of God, will there be enough money? Will there be enough space for me to be content doing the work that you have called me to do? Will we ever as a family have a home, a home together, a spiritual home, a place where we can rest and thrive and grow? And it feels like over the last two and a half years, there's been so many moments of God speaking, and yet we constantly have come to this place of, God, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I feel like that's the question of the last 18 months in our world. Where can we go for life? Right? This is the disciples to Jesus. Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of life. We have nothing without you. And in that utter dependency, people ask. And this is what the pastor knows. The pastor knows that when people enter these stages of life, they can't help but start questioning the faithful promises of God and God's faithful character. But he does something brilliant. She does something brilliant. It sounds better to say that. She does something brilliant. She doesn't dance around the difficult question. She actually dives right into them and says, hey, I know this is going to be hard. But it's been hard before. Let's talk about that. That's why we need to talk about Meribah and Masa. Because we get to Hebrews 3, and he just cracks this theological whip. She cracks this theological whip that just opens the door and requotes Psalm 95 and says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not let your hearts, hearts be hardened, as you did in Meribah, rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. There for 40 years, they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. How on earth can that be comforting to people who are already tried, already exhausted? How is that good news? And this is where his exposition, her exposition is so, she's such an astute observer of the Jewish story. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have been unfaithful, unbelieving and your heart turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confession, our convictions firmly to the very end. As just as said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. But who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all of those Moses led out of Egypt? She's calling to, these people saw Moses fight the gods of Egypt. They watched the Nile turn the blood. They watched the plagues. They watched as Moses and Yahweh systematically conquered the gods of Egypt. And they were the ones that questioned. So if you think in your head, I just need this act of faith, this act, this miracle, that's going to be enough to make me confident, he's saying right away, that's not going to work. It's not about that. That's what that means. And with whom he was angry for 40 years, was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to, and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who had disobeyed? That word, just distrust, 
So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. He knows that people will ask the same questions of Israel in the wilderness. Are you faithful? Did I miss it? Did I miss on your promised land? Did somehow we miss out on getting into the promised land, the thing you led us out of bondage to go to? Did we miss it? That's the question we ask. So he calls to mind the story in Exodus, and it's a story that we all know. Youth pastors love to tell the story of Israel in the wilderness, questioning. They get thirsty. Maybe you've heard of this in Exodus 13. They've been led. They've seen all these miracles. They literally saw an army swallowed up by a sea, but then they get thirsty. And it's a desert. I mean, you can make, it is, it's funny, but it's like you've just seen a sea destroy an army, and they get just a little bit down the road, and they start going, oh, man, we're thirsty. Did you lead us out here to, did, did you lead us out here to kill us? And I could be flipping about it, but this is, this is one of the central themes and stories of the Jewish people. Because this is not just a flipping thing about people testing him and saying, okay, we'll get water. And it's Moses providing water with the staff. This is a courtroom scene. This is the elders of Israel being asked to judge Yahweh. He says to Moses, you think I'm like the gods of Egypt because it's hard right now? I've been faithful to you. You think, and again, notice that he doesn't, if you read it, if you know the story, he doesn't rebuke them for asking, but he brings to think the things at the bottom of their hearts, and he says, you think I'm like those gods, those gods that drowned your Israelite children in the Nile. You think I'm like that. Well, then you take that staff that you touched the Nile and you judged it, and their river of life turned to a river of blood. That's a judgment scene. You take that staff. I'm going to stand on this rock. You strike that rock. You tell me what comes out. The question in the Jewish mind reading this is, will it be blood or will it be water? And Moses obeys. He strikes the rock, which Yahweh is standing on, and water comes out. This is a story about questioning the character of God. Which type of God do we serve? Is he like Pharaoh? Or is he the liberator? Right? This becomes a little snapshot. Why is it later that the gospel writers are so hell-bent on telling you Jesus gets striked on the side? They're calling this image. What kind of God is this? This is a God who, who takes on our judgment, right? Blood comes out and water comes out. He takes on our judgment, and he makes a way, right? That's just theological drop, has nothing to do with Hebrews. They don't say that. That's why, that's, this image is groundbreaking for the people of Israel. They know the character of God, and it's amazing. It's amazing to see God willing at Meribah, at this place of quarreling, to let his own character be tested. That's the first half of what this pastor is saying. Celebrate God's good purposes because if they seem like it's been a long time since you've seen them, they are still going ahead of you. Mark those moments because even in the wilderness, you'll find that the promised land is still coming. Its promises are true. His promises are true. See, but then there's another story, and this is the other story mentioned in the psalm. The story of Massah, which is another testing. It looks exactly like the story of Meribah, where the people are thirsty. They're grumbling again. They've been led by a pillar of fire at night and by a cloud by day. They've seen provision and manna, and they get thirsty again. They start grumbling. But this time, Moses goes to God, and God says to him, 
okay, we'll speak to this rock, and this rock will produce water. But Moses, for whatever reason, disobeys, and he takes this staff of judgment and power. He strikes the rock twice, and water comes out. And that single action, that act of disobedience, while judging God's character, prevents him from going into the promised land. That's the weight of these two stories. So we read it as just a place of quarreling and testing, but the psalmist is saying the place where you've questioned and seen and repented God's character for its goodness and the place where you disobeyed. And because of your disobedience, you couldn't follow into the promised land. That's the frame for this whole psalm, for this whole passage in Hebrews And the simple message to this hurting people is to remind them that God continues to do what he always has done to take our pain and his brokenness and lead us back to his promise if we choose to follow him. That's the story that we'll live in. And this is where Hebrews 4 picks up. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, even after that distrusting generation, then let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short. People are hurting. They're wondering again, have we missed it? Wait, Joshua led the people into the promised land. Was that your promise? Was that the only good thing you offered your people? Because we've been following this, this Messiah, and we're just getting more and more brutalized. Life is becoming more and more difficult, and they're asking, Lord, will we get to enter your Sabbath rest, which just becomes this beautiful picture of God's eternal rest. When you see Sabbath in the, in the, book, of Psalm, in the book of Psalms or in the, the book of Hebrews, which is where we're reading out of today, just so you know. I keep forgetting that. Um, he, every time you see that, know that what they mean is life and life in abundance. They don't just mean Sabbath as in a, a sixth day of the week, seventh day of the week that you rest, however, wherever you do your Sabbath on. This is the way that you enter the kingdom and life of Jesus. And people are asking, have I lost the goodness And he keeps going. He says, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter the rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience and distrust, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as the passage already quoted. And he keeps quoting this. Four times he quotes this line. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken later about another day. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. I love that because the, Hebrews, the Hebrew writer is, is playing with it. Strive vigorously so that you can rest. He's connecting those t- two things. God's promise that we receive with open hands and our willingness to follow him into that place. Right? We have, we have this weird tension that either I work to receive God's promise or I just receive it open-handedly. He's saying, great, you're in. You're one of the faithful. You follow Jesus. This is your place. Fully enter the Sabbath rest that he has for you. And he quotes Genesis 1. He says, God rested. Since the very beginning, his Sabbath rest has been open for you. Why do you think he wouldn't offer it now? But if you're living in a way that refuses to walk in that promise... It's not that that Sabbath's not offered to you. It's that you're not capable of receiving it. You are not formed in such a way that you can actually obediently follow into this new promise. But his promise is not being held. 
God has been offering Sabbath since the beginning of creation. You haven't missed anything. It's not too late. You've not been forgotten or left out. Eternal life is here and now and present. It's, as one writer says, it's already not yet. I love that. It's already not yet. It's now and not yet. If you're not living in his rest, his promise, it's not because it's being withheld from you. And just to put it more more succinctly, persecution isn't a sign that you're not being let in. Doubt is not a sign that it's too late or you're missing out. You don't have to remain in your childish immaturity as I did for most of my 20s. You don't have to remain in the control of your own life which leads to nothing but brokenness. If you're still convinced that you know how to get your way out of the wilderness, then you will not follow Yahweh into the promised land. That's the thing at the heart of this. If you're still convinced your meager control, the meager life that you think you can produce by your effort is the way that you will enter into Sabbath rest, into eternal life, right? Into the day of the Lord, into obedience, into the life in the kingdom of God you will not be able to receive it when it's offered. And he's offering it. When is he offering it to him? How many times did he quote today? When is he offering? When is he speaking? Today. He did it in Joshua's time. He did it in Moses' time. He did it in David's time. And the Hebrews writer is saying, if he did it in all of those times, why would he not be doing it right now? And in a year and a half where we have just been crapped on, (laughs) it feels like at times, at every level, every institution in our world from Hollywood to politics to the church has been weighed and found wanting, right? And we start asking, man, did we miss it? Have we jumped the shark? Are we following the wrong savior? Maybe we should throw our hat in with this candidate. Maybe we should throw our hat in. Maybe we should play with this guy. Maybe this team is the one that really is going to make it happen. And and this beautiful pastor is just saying, guys, we've been here before. We've seen this before. Remember, Remember when you were in bondage? Who fought those gods? Remember, were you in the wilderness? Who led you to abundance in the wilderness? Who married you at Sinai? and gave you a covenant to hold you and keep you and make you unlike any culture, any society we've ever seen. And he just reminds them, you will not escape this through your own ways, but you have to learn to open up. The reality is this is just so simple, but we need to be reminded and the beautiful thing, this line that everyone quotes from Hebrews, I, ha- I just have to, I, I think I have time, I have time, i got to say this. In the midst of all of that, he gets them to this place, and then she says to them, it's not like you can go on pretending you're not really where you're standing anyway, right? You think you're on this side of the promise or on that side of the promise, and you can maybe fake your way into something. And the pastor is saying, actually, you know that you can't do that. It's not like you can pretend 
So the hope now is to open yourself to the reality of the God who is deeper in you than you could possibly remember. And, he sa- and she says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we give an account. Remember today, if you hear his voice, his word is still here. He hasn't gone quiet, even if you feel like he has gone quiet. He is still speaking to his people, and by his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ even, he still speaks. And this is the pretend part. Don't go on pretending that what is in you is not in you. It will become clear in a moment of difficulty, of trials, what is in you will come out. Don't run from it because the Spirit knows what's in each of us. And thank God, the Word of God is sharper than any double-edged blade. But that blade, it's not like a butcher knife, right? It's not like a hacking instrument. It's like a scalpel. Some knives are meant to do harm. Some knives are meant to do good. And he's saying it gets deeper than you could possibly, leaving what is good and taking what is bad. And we say, thank God, this isn't something to be afraid of. This is something to welcome the good pain of recovery when recovering from an injury. That only he can set us right. Only he can train us and cut out our ways of doing life that lead to death so that we can walk in his promise in abundance and wholeness. Right? Your bad habits, your weaknesses, your brokenness, pain, doubt, fear, he takes all of it and he offers rest in return. And this image, this metaphor of Sabbath, this way of entering that all of creation is longing for, and in all of that, the simplicity of the pastor's message is this. How do we know that the Sabbath rest is for us? How do we know that we haven't been left out? We know that rest is for us by choosing to trust and live into his Sabbath rest today, living as the sun lives now in us. Simply put, living in Sabbath rest opens us up to Sabbath rest. That's where, like, kind of the fake it till you make it, right? Be honest about it. Choose now. Choose right now, today, to just take one thing and live into that rest, and you'll see what rest opens up for you. It's a weird thing in the kingdom of God. I'm going to hold that for the end because I think that there's something I need to say with that. Hmm. Will you just hold a second for me? Just close your eyes. Well, I feel like you're moving in someone specifically right now. And I think what you need to say right now, not my words, but just to them directly, God, I just want to create space for just a moment. You don't have to say if you don't have to say what it is, but if you feel right now, you feel like the spirit is actually speaking something really clear to you. You just raise your hand so I can just bless it. We can bless it right now. Yeah. Lord, would you just bless
We have to learn to be people who can hear the voice of God, not just from a speaker and not just from a worship song. So Jesus, I honor the words you're speaking. Hmm. Hmm. Amen. Just another minute. So all that rambling to say, I, I got to confess, during prayer out here, I knew exactly where I was landing. And during worship, I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to get there. I just have so clear, oh my gosh, I, there's a thousand ways to get to where, I, where you're supposed to go. And um, you're, in, you're witness to that. So thanks for this uh, performance piece. Um, I just want to end with this. Trust your life to God. Whatever we can offer in this moment, do it today. And this is the thing. This is the thing I felt so clearly. Maybe all you can do is muster one simple thing, one act of obedience and trust. Maybe it's one thing that you've heard him ask and you've reluctantly been clinging to, but you know he's been asking you to hand it over to him. One thing. It could be that simple. But then next week, it's another thing. And next month, it might be something else. And you, do, you put a lifetime of that together, and that is a profoundly Jesus person. That is a profound person of power whose ego has been rubbed so raw that the only thing that can get in is the spirit. That's what this means. It's not closed off to you. He hasn't stopped speaking. He's not withholding. It's still there. And maybe for you, it's not about disobedience. Just offering your life in a new way that you've never thought possible. And little by little, we learn to enter God's grace fully. Today, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts. And I think there are a few responses to this um, that I just want to uh, honor. And I think just some things I've sensed as I was talking, um, rambling rather, that I want to pray over. Um, so do you want to come? Actually, and we could just start now while I finish. Um, I think there are three things that I want to respond to um, specifically. And obviously, there will be people up here to pray for you for whatever. So don't feel like if you're coming up for one of them, don't be judging people. Oh, gosh, that person? Wow. They're deconstructing their faith. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's not what this is about. This is just about a space where we open to the response to ministry time, to what the Spirit is speaking it literally might have nothing to do with anything that I said or even the book of Hebrews. But somehow God has used that, and I just want to honor that space. But the three things that I really feel in light of this word, in light of this years that we've had, this year and a half specifically, I think some of you have no idea how to turn over the thing that you know you're being asked to cut out. I don't even know what that is. But I think... I mean, there's a thousand things it could be. I've been drinking too much during COVID. I watch too much Netflix. I'm on my phone too much. Whatever it is, those aren't any of mine, I'm just saying. Um, I'm into craft cocktails, right? What's the thing that most adults are doing <laughs> during COVID? You drink it every night? Yeah, we're into craft cocktails. <laughs> Maybe not every night. <laughs> I have no problem with alcohol, but it's a very, I've seen it destroy too many lives. Right? Same thing with Netflix. <laughs> Whatever the thing is. If you're going to binge something, watch The Chosen because it's beautiful. We're obsessed with it. We have a small group at our church now at the garden <laughs> who watches The Chosen, and I think that's great. 
whatever that thing is. And if you don't know how to offer it over, if it's been something in the back of your head, if it's been something you've, you've put enough restrictions around that you cannot fight it, it still has control over you, power over you, then the first step tonight is just to share with someone in this community. Maybe they can't fix it, but they might be the first person that can carry with you as you walk on this journey of being delivered from it. Again, it could be so innocuous. It might be that you are so committed to faithfully following Jesus that you get up five hours early every day and spend that time in prayer. But he still might be asking, but you know this one thing? Can I have it? Does that make sense? But simply naming it to another person somehow frees us just a little bit. The right naming, there's an old Chinese proverb, the right naming of things is the beginning of wisdom. Just naming the problem and being honest. I've learned this more in my marriage than anything else. Just calling attention to it. The things that we permit our partners, the people we love most in the world, to do, even though we know they don't want to do it because we don't want to have a difficult conversation. Oh, gosh, if we just had the fortitude to step in and say that with love and grace. This is all about love and grace. This is God's kind correction because it's sharper than any double-edged sword. First one. Second one. Some of you hear those words. Today, if only you would hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts, and you're thinking, it's been so freaking long since I've heard the voice of God or felt his nearness or even been convinced that he's with me that I don't even know how to begin. Well, I want to say one of the, one of the crazy realities of the kingdom of God is it's almost like a rule that I've just learned in my life that in the kingdom of God, you give away what you need. If you need to receive money, you learn to be generous. That's not a formula, right? It's a heart posture. This isn't like a Benny Hinn thing. I'm not saying like, give away what you need. Learn to be generous and open yourself to generosity. You need to be forgiven. You need to be the first person forgiving other people, right? So if you are longing to hear the voice of God, begin to be the voice of God's blessing to other people. See how he starts to speak through you as you open your mouth for the sake of another person, right? I think that's some of you. And then finally, one of, the rea- one of the things this pastor says that I just love in that regard is encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. This should be the currency of every church is the fact that we speak blessing and not gossip. The currency of this church, the, meaning the thing you put in that you get out should be blessing. It should be honor, right? And I think if we could train ourselves in that, some of you are so good at that, I have no doubt. Every community has the good gossip, the one who, when you leave a conversation with them, everyone else that you've talked about somehow is a thousand feet taller in your mind because they honor one another. What if we were people like that? All right, and this is the last response. I think others of you may be genuinely thinking, my heart is already hardened. I have no way out. My heart is calloused. It is stone. Would you close your eyes just for a second? Holy Spirit, whatever you um, are opening the door to right now, we just receive it. We bless the work that you're doing. I bless the work on the men and women in this room the children in the room in the back, I bless that your spirit would just pour out over them. Your words would be clear. Your word would be clear. 
So if one of those resonated with you today, I just want to invite you to come forward. And it could be something else. This is a space where we humbly as a community lift one another in prayer. We mediate the character and love of Christ to one another through our words of blessing and affirmation. And I just invite you to come forward as we sing together. We're going to worship. Some of you just need to worship and that's perfectly fine. But I just want to encourage you, do not leave without having received prayer. If you feel a stirring right now where God has said, where God's heard you ask, have I missed it? Is it worth it? Have I been left out? I just want you to be reminded by someone in this community. So as we sing together, would you come forward?